a room with heaters. Uh, so we'll be in the McClure room uh, for the month of July. Tell your friends. Don't tell too many of them because they won't fit. But tell all of your friends. Um, it'll be wonderful. We could meet in the showers. That doesn't sound right, but <laughs> we, we can do that as well. Oh, let's pray. I think we need to pray. Father, thank you so much for loving us. Thank you for being good. Thank you that you are our God. Thank you for all that you have done all that you are doing and all that you will do. Thank you that you have saved us and made us to be like your son. Thank you that you are working within us to change us into the image of of your son and into your likeness, Father. Thank you that one day we shall see you face to face and we shall be made brand new. Lord, until that day, until we see you face to face, Lord, to pray can be difficult sometimes and we find ourselves distracted by outside stimuli, by our own thoughts. Lord, we can focus so easily on many things and yet when we pray, sometimes our focus is hard to grasp. Lord, captivate us. Lord, be the vision before our eyes. Lord, open our eyes to see you. And as we see you, help us to, to pray. Not only for our own needs, Father, but for the needs of the world. Lord, the more we get to know you, I pray that we would be changed to be like you. Not only in the way we act, in the way we think, but, but also in the way we look at the world. Father, we are so grateful for what you have done for us. And yet we can be so callous when it comes to others. Not deliberately, Lord, but, but just because we are self-centered beings. So unlike you who is so other-centered. Make us like yourself. Change our thinking, our speaking, and our doing. Father, help us now to understand what you would have us Learn from your word through your Apostle Paul. Help us to learn to pray. Help us to learn your heart. Help us to learn your ways. Holy Spirit, please speak to us this morning. Use these lips even to speak your truth into our lives. Amen. Has anybody seen the movie Gravity? Um, it's, Colin, you've seen it. it. It is at once a fantastic movie and a very boring movie um, because it's one character, most of it. Um, I don't know her name. Sandra Bullock, I think, is up there in space, all alone, dying, basically, trying to get to the International Space Station, trying to get back to Earth. Her spaceship was hit by debris and everyone else is dead. She's trying to get back, and she, she comes to the point where she thinks she is dying. And she says these words. She says, forgive the lack of accent. I can't do her accent at all. I'm going to die. Aren't I, God? 
I know we're all going to die, we're all going to die, but I'm going to die today. Funny that you ought to know, but the thing is, I'm still scared. I'm, I'm really scared. Nobody will mourn for me. No one will pray for my soul. Will you mourn for me? Will you pray for me, or, or is it too late? I, I, I mean, I'd, I'd pray for myself, but I've never prayed in my life. Nobody ever taught me how. Nobody ever taught me how. Nobody ever taught me how to pray. Isn't that sad? You know what, there's a person who's a non-Christian. And I'm hoping that all those who, who follow Jesus here know how to pray. It, it's, it's actually really easy. You just address God and speak. But the question also there is, is what should we be praying? <laughs> is what we should be praying and, and for whom should we be praying and, and, and really, why should we be praying? <laughs> You're praying for my cough. <laughs> Paul is writing, uh, if you remember a few weeks back, to the church in Ephesus. Well, indirectly, he's writing to Timothy, who he has left in charge of the church of Ephesus, Timothy's job is to get things in order, to get uh, the leadership of the church up and running. <clears throat> One of the things Paul wanted him to do was to make sure that this church moved forward. Now this is a church that Paul had spent years visiting. He'd spent a long time there, and you'd think if you get someone, you get a pastor the caliber of Paul to spend two years in your church, your church is set for life. Amen? Rubbish. Rubbish. This church, Paul sent Timothy there because the church was in trouble. Um, I was speaking with someone this week, um, and, and we were saying, you know, people always say, let's get back to the New Testament church. And we looked at each other and said, you know, the New Testament church sucked. The reason we've got most of the letters is because things were going wrong. They sent letters because the church, the New Testament church was brilliant as well. Power of God, things were happening, the gospel was spreading. They were just as messed up as any church today. They made as many mistakes as any church today. There's, there's one thing we know, it's that the church is not perfect. Um, largely because I'm in it. And also largely because Mark is in it. And Nadine and Lynn and Eric and Myra and Helen and Graham. I don't know your names, all of you. Ross. <laughs> all of you. <laughs> Glennis, Delphine, John, uh, David, Sharon, Debbie, Margaret, Jim, Colin, Matthew, Charmaine, uh, Robin, you guys, Viv, Steve, Wayne, Anna-Marie, Taryn in the back. Problem with the church is we have all these people in it who make mistakes, who are self-centered, who want to do things our own way. And, and it's a great grace of God that we have been given this word that, that helps us to understand who God is and how we should live as his children. Um, I find it very relieving to know that, that the church has always been slightly torn at the edges. But I'm even more relieved to know that one day the church shall be glorious. The church which is now a mess, 
shall one day be amazing. Um, and it's to that end that, that Paul writes and the other New Testament writers write because they want us to grow into what God sees us to be. And part of that uh, involves how we pray. Part of that involves how we pray. This is an interesting chapter. Uh, a lot of what it says is going to seem unlinked, especially the two halves. But next week, if, if you're back next week, you'll see how the whole business with women and men. I mean, how many of you men pray with hands lifted high? That's what it says in verse 8. I want men to pray with holy hands lifted. And I want women to be quiet and learn submissively. How does all this... Shh. <laughs> Woman and Mark. <laughs> How does all this fit together? Well, I'm going to give you the secret now. Um, come back next week for the details. It all fits together because it's all about reaching the world with the good news of Jesus. It's all about reaching the world with the good news about Jesus. Let's have a look here uh, at the first two verses. Paul says, I urge you, first of all, to pray for all people. Ask God to help them, intercede on their behalf, and give thanks for them. Pray this way for kings and all who are in authority, so that we can live peaceful and quiet lives marked by godliness and dignity. Prayer is to be a normal, in fact, it's to be a major part of a church's ministry. Paul says there, I urge you, first of all, now, Paul is not very good at maths because quite often he says first of all and then forgets to go secondly. Uh, but the point here is not to give us a list. The point is to say the most important thing that I want you to get right here, right now, first of importance, first of all, I want you to know that, I, that you should be praying for all people. Now, I, I don't know about you, but... But I know for myself that when I pray for others, uh, and let's be honest, I tend to pray most for me. Um, not a good thing, but probably 90% of my prayers are for me. And when we do pray for others, we... If you've taken a stone and thrown it into a pond, there's lots of water around. Go home if you've never done it. Throw a stone into one of the puddles in the road and, and see how it ripples out. That, that's, that's how we pray. We are the stone. We are the center. And, and as we pray, we pray for people who are closest to us. So we pray for our family. And we pray for our extended family. And we pray for our friends. Then we pray for people that we know, people on our minds. And, and, and sort of like... We are the center and we pray for those who are connected to us. And you know how when you throw a stone in the water, the ripples eventually diminish. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing at all wrong with that. But, but I think Paul is challenging us to have bigger horizons. He wants us to pray for everyone, for all. And this is also, we'll, we'll see in verses 4 and 6, uh, the same group of people that God wants to save and who Jesus died for. 
God wants to save all people, verse 4. Jesus died. He is the mediator for all people, verse 6. God says pray, not just for your friends and your family. Pray for all people. If we really are to pray for all people, we must believe, surely, that God loves them without distinction. That Jesus' cross was as much on their behalf as it was for us. And, and I think Paul is calling here for more than just lip service. Oh God, please save the nations. Think of us as a nation. Can we sincerely pray for all people and at the same time refuse them refuge when they genuinely need it and label them? Can we sincerely pray for all people and say, but not them because they're evil? There's a minister in, in Ireland at the moment. Um, one of the co-pastors resigned because the pastor got up and delivered a hate message against Muslims from a Christian pulpit. He's now being investigated by the government for hate speech, but I don't find the verse where Paul says, pray for all people that God would smite them down. And yet our attitude sometimes is one of, that person's horrible and evil. And against that, Paul says, I want you to pray for all people. He mentions four kinds of, of praying. He, he mentions asking for specific needs, bringing these needs before God, uh, appealing boldly on the behalf of others to God, being thankful to God for others. Now, we've, we've you're probably getting close to the 7 billion mark of the Earth's population. So if we divide that up, um, if we take a billion people each um, on a weekly basis, that would be good. Um, I'll do the leftovers. <laughs> we can't literally pray for everyone in the world, but, and Paul's not asking that, of course, but, but he is challenging us asking us if we are perhaps limiting ourselves to our own neighborhood or maybe even our own church. How often do we come to church prayer meetings and we pray for Auntie May who's got a sniffle, uh, Uncle Jack who's really not doing well, and little Bo Peep who's lost her sheep. And we stop at the people in the church. Paul also urges us there in verses 1 and 2 to pray for people who hold the world together by their rule, by their leadership, by their authority. Now once a month we aim um, at the church during the services to pray for those uh, who are in authority over us. We pray for, for governments. In fact, I, I have a feeling that we do that on the fifth week of the month. So it's, it's even less than once a month. It's only in the month with months, with five Sundays that we do that. And can I just, just random, unscientific poll, who regularly prays for the government at home? Delphine does, 
Eric does. Nobody else. Oh, you're just like me. Regularly. Well, regularly as in at least once a month. <laughs> you know what? Most of us are pretty happy with our country. Um, isn't it tempting to think that praying for the government is rather a boring, conformist thing to do? Aren't we just propping up the status quo? After all, it's not a Christian government anyway. Imagine living in a society where the government is tyrannical, where you can get a knock on the door and it's the secret police coming to arrest you. Imagine living in Egypt today. Um, Imagine living in Iraq. And now realize that when Paul was writing this letter, there were no Christian governments. I would even say that there are no Christian governments today, but, but the emperor at the time was not just not Christian, he was famously vain, cruel, and hostile to Christians. We're talking Nero. This is the man in charge. This is the man who will do awful, awful things to Christians. And Paul writes and says, "You listen, church, you should be praying for the government. Praying for the government. I mean, shouldn't we be praying against pagan, hostile rulers? Shouldn't we be praying against politicians who bring, who bring um, legislation to bear that, that will stand against the gospel? Shouldn't we be praying against these things? Shouldn't we be praying against governments that exploit their subjects, who oppress their people, who are wicked? Straw poll, yes, no. Should we pray against them? Yes. Should we pray for them? Should we do both? In a sense, yes. Yes, we, sh- we shouldn't just say, oh God, thank you so much for giving us a horrible government that is killing people every week. No. We should be praying, God, please sort this government out, but, but in the same time, please bless this government. Change them, but bless them. Make them a good government. And then trust God and get on with life. In fact, so often we pray against governments when in fact we should be praying for them that they would come to know Christ. Why do we pray? Paul says over here, this is good and pleases, uh, well, verse 2, pray this way for kings and all our authorities so that we can live peaceful and quiet lives marked by godliness and dignity. This is good and pleases God our Savior who wants everyone to be saved and to understand the truth for there is only one God and one mediator who can reconcile God and humanity. The man Christ Jesus, he gave his life to purchase freedom for everyone. This is the message God gave to me, to the world at just the right time and I have been chosen as a preacher and apostle to teach the Gentiles this message about faith and truth. I'm not exaggerating, I'm just 
telling the truth, says Paul. Why pray? Well, says Paul, because we want to have a quiet life. Sounds a bit selfish. If we stop there. But, but Paul's desire for a quiet life isn't just so that we can love. It's not about personal tranquility for Christians. Paul desires a quiet life, good governments. He desires us to pray for all people because when the world is at peace, the gospel can spread more easily. When rulers are doing their job, even if they don't acknowledge God, when rulers are doing their job, they create a peace and a social stability which allows God's people to worship freely and to build up families and communities that follow God. I mean, this world and its governments are the arena for the, for the activity of God. And it's true, yes, that the gospel flourishes under tyranny. In China, the church is doing extremely well. But it's not something we should seek to have a horrible government. Instead, what we should be seeking is the peace of the government for the sake of the gospel. Paul says there at the end of verse 2 that, that the goal for our prayers, the goal for wanting peace is that we will live peaceful and quiet lives marked by all godliness and holiness. Paul, later on in Titus, read it when you get home, chapter 2, writes that our lives as Christians should show proof to those who look in on our lives that the gospel is true it should be an attractive element of the gospel, the way we live. We should be characterized by godliness and holiness, showing the world something of God. And as we do that, as we live like that, as the, as the gospel goes forward in a peaceful society, it will be seen as genuine and from God. See, ultimately... Why we pray. <clears throat> There's many good reasons to pray. But when we are praying for those outside the church, when we are praying for all people, when we are praying for governments, and even when we pray for those inside the church, prayer is us reflecting something of the heart of God. And here, as Paul asks us to pray for governments and in fact all peoples, prayer is ultimately an evangelism thing. We are to pray for all people because this is the compass of God's desire. God is pleased when we pray for everyone because God wants everyone to be saved. And the reason he wants everyone to be saved is because he alone is God. There is no other. There is no other way to be saved. There is no other God. And so God says, I want everyone to know me. I made everyone. I want them to know me. I want them to be with me. Pray for them. 
And what are we praying for them? We, we're asking God to help them. Oh, but they're not Christians. Ask God to help them. We're, we're interceding on their behalf. Giving thanks for them. And there is only one way, says Paul, for people to be saved, and that is through Jesus Christ, our mediator. There must be someone to stand between sinful people and our holy God. There must be the man, Christ Jesus. Jesus, the, the priest, the prophet, and the king. The one who offered his life as a sacrifice. The one alone who can present us faultless before the presence of God. You see, Paul writes here, he says, I want you as a church to broaden your horizons. Why? Because God is one and because God alone is mediator. Broaden your prayer horizons because God is concerned for more than you, Nicholas. God is concerned for more than this church. Yes, he's concerned for you. Yes, he's concerned for this church. Yes, he's concerned for Christians. But God's heart goes further than the walls of this building. Jesus died because God wanted everyone to come to know him. Colin.